Welcome to Caring for Caregivers, your life support podcast, where we explore what it really means to focus on our own mental health and well-being in the face of COVID-19 and other life challenges. I'm your host, Phil Rayner, and I've been working in the behavioral health care field as a social worker, serving in clinical supervisory and management roles for over 40 years. In today's episode, we'll hear from Kate Cox. Kate is an MPH candidate with 15 years of experience in risk management and operations. She's currently an operations manager with a behavioral health consulting organization. Kate, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I think this this could be a very, very helpful topic for a lot of people to hear about. Can you can you tell us a little bit about the um, challenge that you've faced? Sure. Um, thank you for having me, Phil. So I Unfortunately, well, I, I had grappled with the issue of stopping drinking for about three years. Um, so I would say that I started to, started to consider that I needed to stop drinking in about 2017, 2018, um, because I had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. When COVID came, it left a lot of time for me to be home which left a lot of time for me to drink, which was the catalyst for me making the decision to stop drinking, mainly because I, you know, it was very easy for me to hide a hangover on a school night. So being home and working from home made it a little too easy for me to, you know, indulge my need to to drink. Simultaneously, I was also engaged in IVF, myself and my husband. So we decided that it was best for me to stop drinking, not only because it would be an added benefit to the IVF process, but also because it was clearly something that I needed to do um, for us and for our family. So mm-hmm. um, I made that choice. I had about a year sober um, and I did get pregnant, but I ended up losing the baby um, within my second trimester, which is pretty I'm sorry. Pretty yeah. late. Thank you. Um, which is pretty late to, to have gone through a miscarriage. So, I mean, my main challenge there was as soon as I did lose the baby in the hospital, there was this feeling of, you know, I, there's no reason to stay sober anymore. Hmm. If I can't have this baby, then I can keep drinking. And if my body won't allow me to have this baby, then this is what I'm going to do to my body. Um, Mm -hmm. and that was more of a, I think that that was, and I recognized it in the moment as I was sitting in the hospital bed, that like, that was just a process of self-harm that I was going through where I was so angry with my body for having, for having expelled or for, you know, deciding that it didn't want to have this baby that I wanted to hurt my body by just, Mm -hmm. you know, drowning myself in alcohol. And I think that I recognize that as the moment of like, that's true alcoholism. That is a moment of, uh, to, to me, that's just what alcoholism is, you know? So I um, didn't drink, I didn't relapse, um, but it, you know, it has become difficult since the miscarriage to maintain um, sobriety, to, to not drink regardless of event, especially since, you know, we've taken a hiatus from IVF and, and everything. Um, my husband's supportive, very supportive. So it's made it a little bit easier. Um, and he doesn't really drink. So I do have mm-hmm. that as I know that's not a benefit that everybody has. 
in their sobriety. So I'm very grateful for it. I'm cognizant of it. I know it's not easy when a lot of people around you are drinking and I don't have that in my life. So it makes it a little bit easier for me. Um, but the miscarriage was definitely one of those struggles, especially because it happened during COVID. And unfortunately, like I had to be alone in the room while I miscarried. My husband couldn't be with me. So oh, sorry to hear that. That's hard. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it was, it was rough. Mm -hmm. It was hard. A part of me thinks that maybe I'm a very, you know, things happen the way that they happen for a reason. And I think that it was something that not that I was meant to do alone, but might've spared him because it's always so hard for your, you know, significant other to watch you go through something that they can't control. So, so it sounds like trying to, trying to get pregnant and to, and have a child was a, a motivator and a purpose for, for not drinking and for getting sober. And, and without that, it sounds like it was kind of hard to maintain the orientation toward taking care of yourself. You know, right. Like you described like being almost angry at your own body. Right. Yeah. Cause I, mm -hmm. that part I left out there was that there was nothing wrong with the fetus. I heard the heartbeat, you know, a couple of minutes beforehand. So it really truly was just my body deciding that it didn't want to be pregnant anymore and going into early labor. So knowing all those things kind of, you can't help but blame your own body. And it was almost like this, this, um, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but there was my body and there was me, you know, and I was very mad at my body for not allowing me to have a baby when I had given it the gift of sobriety, but my body doesn't owe me anything. Like I owe my body, my sobriety, you know? Mm. So <laughs> that's the, that's the other realization that I did eventually come to. There's, I mean, there's a whole process, <laughs> but yeah. that was one of the, that was one of the realizations I did come to at the end of this. So it sounds like you developed a lot of awareness coming through this. And I also wanted to just take a moment to comment on your observation about how, the beginning of COVID made it easier to drink more. And I, th I think a lot of people have experienced that during the uh, pandemic. And certainly when we were even more shut down, um, the increase in drinking um, and the, the purchase of alcohol went up tremendously during right. that time. Right. Uh, I think it became a, a big challenge for a lot of people who also couldn't access some of the um, supports that they might normally have access, uh, like 12 step meetings or other mutual right. recovery meetings, even seeing helpful friends. Right. Absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, being home and not even, you could have people to your home and not have to pay a large bar bill, you know, so it became that part of it even became, it was more economically efficient, um, to, right. to drink at home. So that part of it was, did not help. Um, and I recognize after a couple of, of times of me, you know, drinking to, um, drinking to an extent that was far too much and feeling terrible the next day, but kind of like working through it, um, was not, I knew the path that I was on. So how have you been able to move back in the direction of self-care um, when you when you realized that that was what you were dealing with? 
Um, <clears throat> in terms of, so there's self-care during, there's, I, I compartmentalize it, I think, because there's self-care when I was just trying to abstain from alcohol. And then there was self-care after the miscarriage. Um, I think the self-care when I was trying to, in the beginning, when I was trying to abstain from alcohol was um, allowing myself to say out loud when I want to have a drink um, to my friends, to my family, I'm very open about it. Um, and when I really want to have a drink, I say out loud, I want to have a drink. Um, <clears throat> and that normally, um, someone around me is going to give me a pep talk <laughs> about, about oh. why, why I should not be having a drink right now. Um, obviously my husband is the, the best at those pep talks because he truly knows what my alcoholism looked like um, in public and behind closed doors. He's kind of the only one who knows what it looks like. So mm -hmm. he's, he's the best at reminding me of why I don't drink anymore. Um, but I, even my friends, you know, they, they all understand what I deal with and how important it is to me. And um, I don't spend time with people who do drink and push drinks. That's a part of my own self-care. So I had, there were some folks in my life who I love very much so, but I recognize that they're, um, it's okay for me to be around people who are drinking. I recognize that it's not okay for me to be around people who, other people who drink too much. That's, that's one of my triggers. I can't, I can't do that. So I practice self-care in that sense. I remove myself from those situations. I don't have a ton of triggers, um, but I make sure I, I stay away from that. Um, and then in terms of miscarriage and staying sober after miscarriage, I would say I continued to say out loud when I wanted to have a drink. Um, I was very open about the experience I had in the hospital and how bad I wanted to drink that day. It's like something I've never felt before. Um, and um, I check, I have a sobriety app. I check my app all the time. Like that's, that's another thing that I do just to remind myself and give myself, um, kudos for being, uh, sober as long as I have. Um, I reflect back on things that I've accomplished that, um, I wouldn't have if I had a drink in my hand, I write them down when I, when I feel like I need to, because there's a lot of things in my life that I don't think I would have been able to do. And that's just in, you know, two years of sobriety. Um, it's not, it's not that long, you know, so, but I have accomplished so much more than I would have if I, if I was still drinking. Um, and well, I think two years, two years is, is a long time. I, I know you. there are people who put together, you know, decades, whatever, but yeah. that is a long time. Thank you, Todd. So that, that I think is, is very important. I also think that with family and friends, and this isn't so much self-care, but um, when you say that you were an alcoholic and people didn't view you as an alcoholic, they can become very introspective and almost offensive about their, their own drinking habits and they don't need to be. So it's something that I wasn't prepared for, but learned and needed to learn how to um, navigate that. Um, and I usually describe it, 
I pretty much tell everybody, whether it's family or friends, even, you know, my own family, I had to explain like it. It's, it's my issue. I don't think anybody, you know, it doesn't mean that anyone else has this issue. I feel like I have a problem or an unhealthy relationship with drinking. And it is because of, um, what I described to you earlier, you know, drinking for extended periods of time too much, not having an off switch, you know, so you kind of, you have to give yourself or grant yourself grace in understanding that not everybody is going to be supportive at first because your acknowledgement of an issue can sometimes be uh, a mirror held up to them, you know, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they have an issue. It's just, a, it, you know, well, if she, you know, Kate is successful. Kate, you know, has a, has a great husband and a home and, you know, there's no way she can be an alcoholic. How could she be an alcoholic? You know, what am I then? And the reality is it's, it's not, um, you don't know what everyone's drinking habits are and how those can be very different from your own and, and why, you know, why I define myself as an alcoholic. So. How, how has COVID impacted your ability to have the social support and connections that have been helpful for you? Um, well, I think the same reason why it was difficult is the same reason why it's easier, which is odd. Um, but in terms of the social support, I was able to obviously only keep a core group around me for the most part. Um, I wasn't really out and about as, you know, as you wouldn't find yourself during COVID. So I wasn't in a lot of environments where I would find myself wanting to drink. And that helped me quite a bit. Um, and I guess, you know, in terms of tr like, there are certain people who, there are certain people who I want to drink with more than I do other people. And so COVID and me only being home with, you know, my mother, my husband, a couple of my best friends, or, you know, that, that was kind of my pod made it a lot easier because they weren't the people that would, I would have normally gone to drink with. Um, mm -hmm. And I also had some friends that in solidarity stopped drinking as well um, when I decided I would stop drinking. So, you know, it, it was quite, it impacted, it was the catalyst for why I stopped drinking um, because it was so easy to drink during COVID, but it also, the nature of COVID and having to be home like that helped maintain the sobriety for sure. You, you also mentioned using an app as a as a support tool, and I, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Um, apps, there's an app for everything now. There is, and, <laughs> there is. and they really can be tremendously helpful. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Sure. Um, the app is called I Am Sober. That's the one that I use, and um, it allows you to put in the date of, of your sobriety and it counts it down um, in time, you know, down to the second. So it gives you the year, the month, days, hours, minutes, and seconds. Um, in the beginning, you also, you know, write a note to yourself about why you're getting sober um, that you can go back to and read. You could put in journal, you can put in um, journals as well, but I, I only wrote in that one note 
um, on the day that I decided that I would get sober. Um, and it's a reminder to me of, you know, why I would stop drinking. And um, I had no idea. It, it's almost like, it's almost like a different person wrote it when I, when I read it back, you know, cause I, I definitely didn't have a full understanding or as much clarity around why I needed to, why I needed to be um, sober at the time. And I have so much more clarity now, but it was just, you know, these are the reasons why I'm going to stop drinking and all of it's true. I read it back and everything that I've said about myself and the way I would feel after drinking and the anxiety that I had from a hangover, what I did the night before, or what anybody thinks of me the next day, all those things are, are good reminders. So the app is good for that because it's always going to be there. Really, I, I love the uh, the way that you're able to reflect on where you were at that time and how far you've come to be yeah. where you're at now. Yeah. One of the things that I've often run into in talking with people who are in recovery or, or trying to get well in a lot of different ways is they'll have a tendency to compare themselves negatively against some ideal or um, someone else that they know and, and then feel you know, lower about themselves in comparing that way. But when you're able to compare against a time that was so difficult, and to see how much progress you've made to where you're at now, that kind of comparison can be such a boost. And so it, it sounds like this app really affords you the opportunity to do that. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely does. Um, seeing as soon as you open the app, the days that you have sober are there in front of you. And sometimes, you know, you think you had a little bit more because <laughs> you lose track of time. Sometimes you think you had a lot less. So I open it and I'm like, wow, I've, that's, that's a lot of time that's passed by. And then when you think about everything that happened in between, you know, even some that, like, I think to myself, like, could you imagine if I was drinking during this miscarriage? My God. And it sounds like you've also been uh, doing some kind of journaling. I don't know if it's formal journaling, but, but kind of tracking the progress that you've been making. And Yeah, I, you know, when I feel a certain thing, um, I write it down pretty much all the time, whether that be, you know, I feel like I have journals everywhere. Um, but whether it be in my phone or, um, even, you know, like on a word doc on my laptop or something like that about how I feel in that day. Um, I don't always write down when I have overwhelming urges to drink, um, what I experienced in the hospital, I did write down what that feeling was like, because I want to remember how I felt. And although it was terrifying, it was very scary. Um, I think it's important to remember the times that you got past that hurdle. Um, and, you know, with time, like anything else, you forget how rough that was for you in the moment. So, you know, I describe it anecdotally when I miscarried and when I, um, when I miscarried and when I felt this overwhelming urge to drink, you know, I'm sitting there and I was like, I am going to go get absolutely wrecked. Like that was the first thing I thought to myself. And I was like, God, Kate, like there's alcoholism, sweetheart, you know, like <laughs> that's, that's what it looks like. And I can only remember feeling that way once before in my life. And that was 
when I was 16, very angry at my mother. And I walked into the kitchen to find something. I wanted to break something that belonged to her, like to get back at her for something. I didn't because I didn't, you know, it (laughs) obviously wasn't, uh, it wasn't daring enough, but the difference now is I'm not 16 anymore. I'm in my thirties and I'm not trying to break my mother's things. I'm trying to break myself. You know, like that's the rage that I'm feeling is like, I want to break mm. myself. So I, like I wrote that down because it was so profoundly necessary for me to remember. And that's why the journaling piece is, is important to remind yourself of, you know, you don't want to drink just because you can now. That's not what it was about. I didn't want to drink just because I wasn't pregnant anymore and I could, I wanted to drink as a form of self-harm. And you have to, you have to like note that for yourself. Um, Mm. So journaling, journaling helps with those types of things um, to remember. So yeah, I I think that's very important. I've talked with people who are in recovery and talked about the need to keep it green. Um, This idea of keeping the difficult times fresh in mind Mm-hmm. As, as a motivator to continue with their sobriety. And it sounds like the journaling <clears throat> serves that purpose for you in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, with two years of sobriety, everything feels green, right? You know, but, but you'd be surprised how much you forget certain things. When you go back and you read the journaling, you've literally forgot things that happened a year ago. So it is, it is really important to keep that, um, that kind of stuff. Um, front of mind um you know and any time that you you know including the self-care piece what did you do to take care of yourself in that moment um afterwards once you mm-hmm. you know when you have a moment of true introspective and you really are understanding yourself that's when you should practice self-care that's when you should reward yourself with self-care. Um, so yeah. can, can you say a little more about that? How, how, how does that become a helpful part of staying well? I think that, and it's subjective, right? It's, it's up to you and your level of self-awareness in terms of how much do I understand my own issues. But um, when you are when you recognize this is a toxic behavior or that was a toxic thought. Um, and I recognize that for what it is and I'm not going to give into it. Reward yourself with some sort of self-care, no matter what it is, because we all have to practice, you know, positive reinforcement, right. Even if that's just with ourselves. So I, you know, I think what you're describing is so important because We know that a lot of what happens in addiction is that the reward system in the brain gets hijacked by the substance or the behavior. And when when you you've set up a way to reward yourself for self-care patterns, you've you have taken control of that reward system back over and you're managing it yourself and you're managing it for what it's designed for. Do I wish I could go out with everybody all the time and not feel anxiety leading up to that? Or, you know, of course I do. Um, 
but I just, I can't drink. So I have to make sure that I'm good to myself and I treat myself well when I have accomplished, you know, even one outing of not drinking. Um, and that doesn't have to be, you know, buying yourself something every time, certainly not. But like I said, you know, sitting on the couch and just watching TV all day and, you know, not telling yourself, I need to be productive. I need to be productive. You were productive. You didn't have a drink last night. You were productive enough. You get to watch Real Housewives now. <laughs> you know, like I think granting yourself that grace is, is important. You also described um, <clears throat> it sounded like uh, a healing process with your body, your relationship mm -hmm. with your body. And that that sounds like it's been an important part of this process, uh, which I, I think is such a such a big issue for so many people in different ways. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that process. I have to be good. I have to be good to my body. Um, yes, I lost the baby because of my body, but there are going to be many other things that my body will do that are good in this life. You know, like let this not be my body's defining moment, you know? So I think that that piece was important um, for me to understand and kind of continue to remind myself that I owe my body. My body doesn't owe me anything. Um, so that's probably the best. It's a, it's a really difficult concept to describe because you're not in control of it. You're not in control of your body and like what it's, what it's doing to you in that moment, but you can be in control with the reconciliation of yourself and, and your body and understanding that, you know, wasn't done to you, but you can move past it, you know? Yeah. You know, as you're describing that so much of what we need to do as we continue dealing with COVID has to do with taking care of our bodies, you know, yeah. whether it's wearing masks, social distancing, getting vaccinated, you know, all of the, all of those recommendations. Um, so when, when you talked about um, making amends with your body, does, do the COVID self-care strategies connect with that? Um, I think they do. I think that um, giving myself time to not be um, and not put too much stress on my body, you know, so in, in terms of like such COVID self-care, you know, allowing myself to not be productive <laughs> is for mind and body sometimes. Um, so that piece is important to me. Um, and then recognizing, you know, even with COVID, I, I'm the number one person whenever, whenever anybody asks me, you know, how do you like working from home? My answer is always going to be like, it's great, but you have to get up and go outside and go for a walk. It gets necessary. And that's, you know, another part of it being good to your body. Um, it's, you know, for your mental health, but it's also for your physical health. Um, and COVID has 
almost, you know, allowed me this time to, to do those things, like to get up and go out and go for a walk. And, you know, it's, but it's always, it's, it's always that thing of it's harder to start than it is to, to do it. So you just have to kind of go outside. Um, yeah. But for sure, I think that it has, I think that those two things do go together. As you look into the future and someday we will be done with COVID, um, are there lessons that you've taken from this that you see continuing and, and bringing forward with you um, as COVID wraps up and we move on? I do. Um, I think that one of the lessons I've learned is, I think this is widespread across everybody too, who's, you know, everyone who's going through this, but, you know, be, be gentle with yourself. This is, COVID was a traumatic experience for everybody. And there were traumatic experiences individually that we all had, or could, you know, that a lot of people had during COVID and to be, um, grant yourself, go easy on yourself, grant yourself grace, you know? So that's for sure something that I learned during COVID that I will take forward. Um, it's just to, I am inherently very hard on myself. I always have been, I always will be. Um, but this I think has kind of allowed me that space to say like, okay, when I need a break, I need to take a break. When I want to sit on the couch all day, that's fine too. Um, the world's not going to stop and I'll still accomplish things. You know, it's not every second of every day needs to be productive. Cause I think I, like most people feel that grind constantly. Um, and my, you know, my lifestyle doesn't have to look like everyone else's. It's, I, I just think that it made me recognize that I don't have to, um, I've said this already, but I just don't have to be productive every day. I think that's a great point. You know, so many of us are feeling that pressure to always be producing and to get the next item off the to-do list. And how can right. we be even more effective in our time right. management and all of that? Right. Uh, and to recognize that we need downtime, that that it's it's not human to always be working and always be producing. We need to be having periods of rest as well. And that sure. that's, that's important sure. and valid. Yeah. I think um, the other thing I'll take away from this is, you know, my understanding of who COVID kind of forced, who I um, am comfortable with being around in support of my sobriety, who I'm not always comfortable with being around um, in support of my sobriety. So I think that that's also something that I learned and it was kind of forced by COVID, but it gave me the chance to make that realization. Um, and I love all my friends and that, you know, it's just some of your friends are your drinking buddies and some are not. And, and that's kind of, that's, you know, that would definitely be one of my, one of my triggers. Mm -hmm. So COVID helped me recognize that for sure. If somebody wanted to learn more about some of the strategies that you've employed, um, is there anywhere that you would recommend or, or that you could suggest that people might look to to learn more about bringing these ideas of recovery um, and self-care? Um, I really 
so the app I, that I use is I am sober. That's the name of the app. Um, and I do find it to be, I'm sure there are other apps out there. It's just, that's kind of my, my easy go-to. I like the fact that I can see how much sobriety I have. I like the fact, as soon as I open the app, I like the fact that I can see notes on, you know, how much, um, how much I've changed since that time. And also, uh, it calculates how much I would have spent on alcohol. Um, that's great. So the, yeah, what I, what I didn't mention is that not only was I, you know, the biggest drinker at the bar, but I was also like, you know, the first one to buy as many rounds to keep as many people drinking with me as I possibly could. So it was not good for my wallet by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so it, it calculates how much money you've saved on a, on a weekly basis, which is great. Um, and then I read a ton of the sober school, which is kind of just a blog about staying sober written by a woman named Kate, which is a total coincidence. Um, but it's a, it's a great blog. Um, and she kind of goes through the practices of, you know, granting yourself grace and she has some self-care processes in there. Um, and just kind of, it's a great resource for recognizing that, you know, not only are, I mean, everybody knows that there's other um, alcoholics in the world, but also that there are people who have recovery stories very similar to yours that feel very similar to, to the way you did when you, um, when you had issues with drinking and it's, it's refreshing to hear stories about that, um, and know that people struggle with the same types of things that you do because everyone's story with alcoholism looks different. Like I said, in continuing to deal with COVID, I think that it's, you know, very important to realize that, um, this too shall pass. Like eventually this is going to pass. And I know that we've been saying that for a really long time, but it really will. Like it's, it really will. We just don't know when, but it's, it's going to stop. Um, and remind yourself of that. I have a couple of, you know, mantras that I, that I use, that I chant to myself, you know, sometimes like, it's really just as simple as like, I'm here. I'm okay. My family's okay. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's safe. Everyone's happy. Um, and being, you know, as mindful as of that as possible. So I think that that's an important thing to, yes, it's COVID and this stinks and we can't go to restaurants and people are sick, people are dying, but we, um, if you can remind yourself if possible that the people around you are okay. And if, if that's the, if that's the actual case, um, I think that's an important thing to, to take stock of on a daily basis, practice gratitude for it. I know everybody says practice gratitude. It's like, the, you know, it's almost like the new thing to say. It's the new cool thing to say. It's true though. <laughs> you do have to practice gratitude and maybe, you know, your gratitude looks different from other people. Um, if your gratitude is, if your gratitude is that like you're making a bunch of money, let that be your gratitude. Like it doesn't matter if it's economic. It's okay that it's something that's like not um, profound. You know, I, I think that sometimes we feel like we have to be, you know, we have to be practice gratitude for just, you know, simple things, but you can be grateful for whatever you have. Um, 
So that that's one thing, my, my little wisdom of nugget that I would put out there. Kate, thank you so much for sharing your story and all the helpful ideas that you've been able to share about overcoming really challenging situations in your life. And I, I think that people will find those ideas really helpful going forward. Um, so thank you very much for your time. I thank really you so appreciate much for it. having me. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate it too. Thank you. Help is here. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health or substance use concerns, contact 1-833-TO-FIND-HELP. This podcast is produced by Advocates for Human Potential and supported wholly or in part through an emergency COVID-19 grant to the Illinois Department of Human Services, Division of Substance Use Prevention and Recovery from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, the sentiments expressed in this podcast are not endorsed by any of these involved entities.